I mean, if we cling to it should be this way or it shouldn't be this way, it shouldn't be how it is, uh, then we're not really being effortless. Yeah. You know, we really have to surrender. The most powerful thing is actually a book called The Power of Awareness, which I highly recommend. Making no effort whatsoever and accepting and allowing everything to be exactly as it is, is what Jiddu Krishnamurti recommended to come full circle. And also Eckhart Tolle to just experience the pain body and to realize that the pain body just needs to be felt. And if we just allow ourselves to experience and accept what is there uh, as it is without trying to change it, it becomes integrated and digested by that effortless awake awareness, which is choiceless and mirror-like, and is woven and re and is reignited to be able to be liberated from being polarized and polarizing. And that's why I would say, you know who is and others that who have also been adjudicated <laughs> in these military tribunals. There you got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. As always, a blessing to be with you all today. And remember, if you're loving the shows or if you're not loving the shows, subscribe, leave me a comment and let me know what you thought about the show and how it changed your life or send me an email. So I have an amazing man to introduce you to today, and I'm sure many of you might have come across Sperry over the years. His name is Sperry Andrews. Welcome to the show, Sperry. Uh, thank you, Karen. Lovely to be with you and with your your viewing audience. You know, uh, I've been aware of you for some time now, um, watching you over the years, but it wasn't until I was on the Wisdom Conference with uh, Geraldine's Wisdom Conference and I saw you there participating and I'm like, oh, there's Sperry. And I felt like after years of sort of seeing you do your work, I felt you know, I, I needed to reach out to you to um, have a conversation with you on the show because mm. you're, mm. you know, you've got a lot of things going and I think you've got something quite exciting happening at the moment, haven't you? Yes, indeed. So let me tell people who don't know about Sperry a little bit about you from your bio. Sperry Andrews is an artist and you'll see those people that are watching on video platforms, you'll see the art behind us. This is Sperry's art. But foremost, he's a scientist and a founder and the director of the Human Connection Institute, HCI. Sperry has collaborated with eminent scientists and educators conducting both objective and experimental research into the emergence of a commonly sensed consciousness. He and a team of international researchers have found irreferable evidence that the whole of humanity, everyone, is linked to both psychologically and physiologically by our innate capacity for being collectively conscious. In collaboration with neuroscientists and film producers, Sperry is working on creating easily accessible experience of oneness to give a unity experience to everyone willing to participate. He has a background in physics, neuroscience, parapsychology, 
philosophy, art and art history, healing, mysticism and filmmaking and for over 30 years has explored two-way telepathic awareness with hundreds of groups and thousands of individuals. Sperry has given presentations on his institute projects at the United Nations, World Business Academy, Duke University, University of Connecticut, and the Association of Research and Enlightenment in Virginia Beach. And Sperry's Human Connection Project began when he helped a mind scientist foundation in San Antonio, Texas in 1988. So you've been at this for a few years, Sperry. Yes, he's nodding for those people watching on listening on audio. And uh, you're also, uh, where have I? I've lost myself, collaborating with psychologist Dr. William Broad for five years and as an adjunct research association in the 90s. You've developed techniques that are techniques that are readily learned and lived in everyday life, helping hundreds of people in the US and Europe achieve to achieve and maintain experiences of connective consciousness. And as the founder of the Human Connection Institute, you orchestrate large-scale, spiritually-inspired, multinational, scientifically-based media projects designed to facilitate humanity's imminent leap into a collective enlightenment. So you're currently working on a V-book or an e-book with videos about the physics of freedom, peace, love, and joy amongst the pieces. Hmm. That sounds fascinating. Thank you so much. That was a beautiful introduction. What I found is that this new brain, this conceptual, verbal, analytic part of us that is like a child trying to uh, understand what it can learn and mimic in its own unique way from the its parents, the, the reptilian sensory motor nervous system, which is far more mature, and the uh, emotional, heartfelt uh, mammalian limbic system. And uh, so there's sort of mommy and daddy, and they're both very uh, nonverbal and very verbal objectifying part of us is kind of taken over the whole planet <laughs> and we're labeled and labeling each other and labeling everything and we're so busy with our sticky notes that we are lost the sense of being non-verbally undivided from the earth from nature from one another from from love itself and so my work is really about how to get us back into that uh, as soon as possible through film and social media and these events that I've been uh, I've been offering for almost 40 years now internationally with multicultural audiences. So the V-book or e-book or uh, audio books and so forth, those are all part of that uh, mass education offering. And uh, the other, the real, the latest one is called the Global Empathy Accelerator Partnership Proposal, which all of you that are listening might be want to get involved with this or contribute to it. Uh, in some way, uh, which in, is about a $27 million project, involves many filmmakers, uh, basically recording this sense of indivisibility when we really feel it in a fully embodied way, like when we share 
oneness in a heartfelt way when we hold a child or or a beloved to our heart and we both feel that we're feeling together and sensing in an undivided way together which is i would say indistinguishable from unconditional love this this communion of all that we are as one as, as well as being two or many uh in this case seven and a half billion of us can actually uh as nature has designed us to be able to do in order to end the kinds of conflict that we have been uh subjecting ourselves to for so many uh millennia that um just by shifting the what we pay attention to in the moment if we attend to attention itself in an undivided way this is what the mystics and sadhus and sages and yogis have been saying the buddhists and hindus uh for thousands of years that uh all we need to do is become aware of awareness so right now as we become aware talking about it of this awareness that's receiving what we're feeling and sensing and thinking individually and indivisibly together the more acutely sensitive we are to awareness it's like becoming aware of a mirror receiving and reflecting uh, what we appear to be what we perceive ourselves to be and the mirror itself this awakeness i like to use the word awakeness for that quality of awareness that is has no image of its own it's choiceless it's the only part or aspect of consciousness that is eternally present uh it has no image of its own and, and so it cannot be divided by imagery by thoughts and feelings and uh and sensations or yours or mine uh as a mirror does we both let's say a whole bunch of us stand in front of a big mirror the mirror instantly receives us and reflects us back to ourselves and that's essentially what our nervous system is designed to do and when our body heart and mind as a triune brain as they call it uh, maclean did this work in these three parts of our brain when the, the body heart and mind work together and all of our body's hearts and mind work together to receive and reflect like a mirror which is a, a term that has been used going back through hinduism and buddhism for for a very long time in the in their writing that uh, this mirror like quality uh that is timeless and ever present and it's empty of thought and identity and ego so when we're aware of it together we're transported into this state of blissful unconditionally loving communion that we feel with every leaf and bug and person in the cosmos if you will <laughs> and that's really what this awakening is about here on this planet and it's already happened on other planets if you're into the exopolitical uh uh revelations that are being put forward more and more every day that there are those extraterrestrial races that are here communicating with us that say look we've got billions of of us in my uh species in my race and we have learned to share all that we're aware of collectively uh indivisibly by every one of us and that has caused our nervous systems to exponentially develop and evolve 
so that we are seemingly millions of years in advance of you here on this earth. But we don't feel better than you. We're, there's only one, one of us, really. Uh, there's only one people in the universe. And the universe is growing this sentient consciousness. And one of the extraterrestrial races has said that the, the universe is a, a soul, uh, S-O-U-L, a soul manufacturing facility. And so we, we've actually been filled with for hundreds of thousands of years by these different extraterrestrial races. And some of them are afraid of us. They want to not allow us to continue evolving. And others, the majority, thankfully, uh, have been tinkering with our DNA so that we would be even more sensitive, more re resilient than they have been able to be. And so we're like their children and they're very proud of us. They're, they're excited and they would look at us as their heroes, like, like we would look at our children as, as heroic that they're going to go beyond us as their parents. And we, we do everything we can to get them to, to have all the opportunities that, that we think we missed. And so we're in a wonderful spot right now. We're just uh, trying to survive the, the insane people that, that want to get rid of us. Uh, and we will. The looking yeah. glass technology, if you know what that is, has already predicted the future as we will. I just want to reconcilable. Okay. Well, I think as consciousness teaches, Barry, we've got our we've got our work cut out for us because just like you said, humanity is obsessed with intellect and thinking and distraction and iPhones and you know success and getting what we want. And we don't always sit still long enough to actually have an experience of co cohesion and 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 connection with another human being or with every human being until we do and for many that takes a sledgehammer moment a spiritual sledgehammer moment or some people have called it the dark night of the soul um, some sort of spiritually awakening uh, experience for people to start asking different questions and seeking different answers to what life's about it's not just about success and money and you know getting all those sort of material things that we think we want and that happened to you well I think you've probably had many spiritually transformative experiences but I'd love you to tell our audience about what you experienced when you were in Australia in your 30s mm. well thank you Karen um start off I had a near-death experience when I was four years old so I was highly sensitized to how divided and objectified and self-isolating people were, my parents and brother and sister on either side of me and uh, in my intimate partnerships. Uh, the reason they didn't work out is because we couldn't, uh, we couldn't really mutually understand what it was to be the other. Uh, and so I, I finally just put my foot down and I said, uh, I'm going to Northern Australia and I'm going to live in, an, in a non-denominational ashram and I end up living in a garden shed for quite a while. <laughs> and I was meditating every day and walking out into nature and finding wild horses and just sitting down and just the more, longer I would sit still, the more magnificent it would become. And nature would come alive and and it would feel like the winds of of the cosmos would be 
very gently blowing through the bones and molecules and cells of my body and so beautiful. And I, I was just fasting on a little wheatgrass I would chew in the morning and that would do me for the rest of the day. So it got to the point uh, where one night uh, I was reading a book I had uh, called The Awakening of Intelligence by Judo Krishnamurti. It was a, a collection of conversations that he had had, one of them with, with Vivekananda, who had really blown away the United States, what is it, maybe 50, 40, 50 years ago at least. So he was so deep and distinguished and he would bring thousands of people into unity consciousness just talking to them. And uh, so Vivekananda was saying, well, you know, not everybody can just, you know, be pointed to the door, Jiddo, and then they could walk up to the door frame and step through into another world, like people stepping out of Plato's cave, out of the darkness, chained to the rock somewhere. <laughs> and uh, so I give them yoga and I give them meditations and things like that to keep them busy and mantras and chants and so forth. And Judah Krishnamurti said, uh, who has really was my first real teacher. Uh, I never met him, but just reading him, just reading two lines of Judah Krishnamurti would stop my mind dead in its tracks. And I would be in utter silence, just in awe and wonder, uh, experiencing the world through that stillness that as Eckhart Tolle said, it's stillness that will save the world. So Judah Krishnamurti says to Vivekananda, make no effort. There are all this brutality and unconsciousness and self-serving egotism, all of that will drop away if you just make no effort. So I was very impressed by that. And I said, well, I don't really know how to make no effort. And I had been you know, meditating and pretty much spending all my time by myself, just being self-aware and wandering around wondering. And so I got to this point was one of the reasons I was reading the book was that the whole self-made, mind-made uh, identity that normally had possession of my awareness was crumbling and dissolving, had been over a number of days. And I was, I was feeling fear, afraid that I might lose myself. What would happen to me? I'd be sucked into this vortex of nothingness and, uh, and that would be the end of me. And I had no idea what, no mind-made idea anyway, no emotional sense of, or sensory awareness of what would happen to me. And, but this was very intriguing and I trusted Jiddo Krishnamurti and I said, okay, I'm going to experientially explore making no effort whatsoever. And um, so I just explored doing nothing except being awake and aware. And that, because I was meditating a lot, I, I didn't need to sleep and through the night I was awake and aware and by the next morning, uh, I sort of propped myself off my elbows 
And uh, I was looking straight ahead of me, just at the everything and nothing as a whole. And suddenly this sort of ectoplasmic glop formed in front of my eyes about maybe two feet in front of them. And it was kind of like a cloud moving and changing shape, but it had these sort of awful kind of gooey, yucky kind of colors to it. And it didn't feel, it felt very dense, but much more dense than a cloud. And my automatic reaction was to want to turn away and not look at it because it was, it was revolting and some revulsive or whatever. And so because of the quality of my consciousness at that time, I felt like, no, I'm just going to keep looking at it in an undivided way with undivided attention and find out what happens. Because if I turn away, it might chase me or something. Who knows what would happen? <laughs> so I just kept looking at it and you know, it felt like everything that I had never been fully conscious of. It was like everything I had denied awareness of in my whole life was like assembled in this ectoplasmic glop that was so like, yuck. And, and by just recognizing that that's probably what it might be, in about, I don't know, four or five minutes, it just like went whoop and turned back into completely translucent transparent nothingness, mirror-like awakeness. And I was like vaulted into this state of being nothing at all, which had no boundary, no beginning or end. It was timeless. And everything in the physical, sensory, emotional, and mental world became like a dream, but it was a lucid dream. And I was not asleep. And so I... And it was, it was the most ecstatically blissful, beautiful quality. It was like every single atom and molecule in my physical body was pure consciousness, pure awakeness, this mirror-like awakeness that was now omnipresent and omnipotent and omniscient because everything was being assembled and reassembled as can happen in a lucid dream. It can feel as though when it becomes conscious, a lucid dream is what is conscious is actually being guided by the quality of our consciousness. And so the quality of my self-aware consciousness where consciousness was conscious of itself now allowed the physical, emotional, and mental world to be uh, a construct that was like a top when you spin it will conform to the axis, the dimensionless axis around which it's spinning or a car wheel or a bicycle wheel, the mass and energy and momentum will conform to the placement of that, that dimensionless axis that has no, by having no dimension, there's no resistance, no friction. And so I became frictionless, but instead of being located at an axis, the axis was everywhere and had no boundary. And it was so beautiful. And I felt there was no me. It was like in the near-death experience. Finally, I got back to my near-death experience, but I wasn't, I didn't have to die in order to experience it. 
So it had only taken me 30 years, two years to get back to my near-death experience. And for some bizarre reason, I decided I'm going to go out to the Roden Roadway, which was, we were completely isolated in the tablelands of uh, a Milla Milla, North Queensland. Uh, and it was nighttime at this point and full moon night of all things. And I decided I was going to go out to the road and hitch a ride to go buy this used car because uh, I had never really been able to go very much of any place because I didn't have any kind of vehicle, uh, which was over two hours away. Uh, and just for, so, for a lark, <laughs> for something to do while being in the state of consciousness. So I, I got out to the road. I'm standing out there perfectly happy. Nothing has to happen. I'm not attached at all. And the moon was huge and it felt like it was as much in my knee and in my pinky and in my heart and everywhere in the sky as much as it appeared to be up there. And, um, uh, and a bird that was singing was like, uh, was chirping, some kind of night bird. It felt like it was in my hand, in my elbow in my inside of me and outside of me and all simultaneously it was amazing to feel that everything was everywhere and nowhere all at once and um, it was really exquisite i mean it couldn't it was impossible for anything to be boring at this point nothing was uninteresting and uh, uplifting and transcendental and mystical so after a while of being you know, kind of not, without thinking at all, there's no thought, but there was this intuitive, nonverbal, like the way the heart feels and the body can sense. It's not, it's not talking like the mind and the brain talks. There's experiential knowing or in, pure intelligence. As Eckhart Tolle would say, awareness is pure intelligence. So I was like, pure intelligence that was everywhere and nowhere. And about a quarter mile away, I see this car appearing in the distance with its headlights on. And uh, the first thought occurs to me is, wouldn't it be nice if this person stopped and took me to Atherton, which is where nearby where these people were, had the car that I was interested in buying and so that was my only thought. And it was such a relaxed thought, like, wouldn't it be nice, you know? Later, I've heard, you know, gurus say, yeah, just very relaxed. If you want something, feel it, feel it, you, that you already have it, it's already possible, and just say, thank you very much, I would love that. <laughs> and it happens, right? And so, so the car comes, and I can't even see the, the person in the car yet. Uh, and the driver just like grinds. I mean, so, suddenly just slams on the brakes and skids to a stop in the dirt on the side of the road because it's that kind of a road. And the dust is kind of up and then it's beginning to settle. And she roll, starts rolling down the window of the car. I see it's this very diminutive little Japanese woman. And she looks very dazed, like, oh, 
what's going on like this? And she looks out the window and looks at me in this kind of like, oh my God, what am I doing kind of way and says, where are you going? <laughs> and I say, uh, I'm going to Atherton. And uh, I mean, I didn't know whether she knew where that was. And she said, okay, get in the car, I'll take you. So I get in the car and I don't say anything. I just sit down next to her, there's a little car. And uh, she starts going and she says, um, after a while, because we're just driving along, uh, uh, you know, what are you doing? Like, like she couldn't figure me out, you know, how women are very intuitive or whatever, you know, and so she's like, because <laughs> I'm not saying anything, she wants me to tell her what I'm doing. So I like looked into it all uh, as, you know, everything and nothing and all that was happening and not happening. And I said, well, I'm just, I'm just being everything that I'm conscious of, which seemed to keep it in focus without words taking it out of focus. And she got what I was saying intellectually and emotionally and physically. And we just merged completely. She, we just shifted and fell into unity consciousness. And there was only one of us at that point. And then when she would speak, it would like bubble up energetically from inside of me, up through my heart, body and mind into my, into my thinking mind and be registered and understood. Uh, and the same thing when I would speak, it would like bubble up through her and I would feel it. And, I, and she would feel me feeling it bubbling up through her into her mind and, and her comprehending and grokking what I'm saying. And so it was really an amazing, you know, very, very spare conversation, but highly transformative to be able to talk and be felt and understood empathically at that depth, at that level. And so we drove on mostly in silence. And, um, but the next thing she asked me was, she, she told me that, uh, she was very afraid that she had, because she just lived up the road from where she picked me up about 10 or 15 minutes, that she had left her newborn child with her neighbor and that she was afraid that the neighbor might do so harm to her child. And did I think that that's possible? And I kind of took that in and kind of felt a little bit of indigestion. <laughs> Like, how am I supposed to know the answer to that, you know? And then, but I just didn't make any effort, as Judo Krishnamurti would recommend. And I just digested it. And I just felt deeply in a fully embodied way and said, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think your child is fine. No worries. Like they say in Australia. <laughs> and, <laughs> And she and she relaxed, and she I could just feel her just like let go of some level of tension that she had been holding, and she just sort of sighed, almost silently, and was just like, oh, oh, thank God, kind of thing, without even saying anything. And I was like, oh, we were both able to be more relaxed after that, and we drove on into the night, um, and arrived in Atherton, 
to, oh, actually, we had to stop along the way and to stop and use a payphone to call the people who had the car to ask if they could come and pick me up in Atherton. So I didn't know really where they were either. And they said, oh, yeah, certainly, you know, and there was this feeling of rapport and effortless agreement just happening, just bang like that. And we agreed that we would meet an, in a week because uh, I feel I felt that she wanted to keep going with feeling this way. Um, and eventually it turned out that these people had to go 20 miles each direction to come and pick me up. So they came and got me and brought me back to their house and they sat me down in their kitchen and immediately started asking me questions like she had asked me. <laughs> and she, so the wife says, my husband kicks the cows. What do we do about it? And I'm like, go through the slight indigestion of like, well, how am I supposed to know what you're supposed to do about that? And, but I just felt it, made no effort. And it just made sense to say, well, uh, you know, you don't have to kick the cows. <laughs> and they just went, oh, and felt it. All three of us as one body, heart and mind. And they, with the cows, I'm not kidding, with the cows. And, and he got it that he didn't have to kick the cows, for heaven's sakes. And that was that. And, uh, and then they had a couple other questions. And they felt totally satisfied. And they said, well, you know, why don't you stay the night here? You know, it's kind of late. It was like 11 o'clock at that point. And I said, well, okay, sure. You know, not making any resistance of any kind. <laughs> and so they gave me a room by myself and a cot to sleep on. And I, you know, laid down, pulled the covers over me and closed my eyes. And I went to, went into dreamless sleep. Uh, which if you've heard, you know, yogis talk about that sleep is the enemy of the yogi. Uh, that if you, if you go into dreamless sleep, uh, it, it's better than sleeping uh, where you go unconscious because you stay conscious of being consciousness throughout the night and your whole body gets a full rest. Your body, heart and mind as a whole, as an integrated whole, gets this deep, deep rest. And so... I went into the state of dreamless sleep where I was like the night sky with where there were no stars or anything like that, but there, it was sort of sparkly, like, like quasi particles appearing and disappearing out of the zero point vacuum or something like that. This is before I even heard anything about the zero point vacuum. And so I'm like, wow. And it was so peaceful and so natural and, uh, and so just seemingly perfectly normal that I stayed that way all night and completely forgot about that I was a human being. I completely forgot about the earth or nature or anything else have ever, have ever existed, but that at some point uh, I happened to open my physical eyes and I went like, oh my goodness, look at this. I'm, I'm in this universe. Within this nature, I'm in Australia, in this body. This is amazing, how amazing. But I had no identification with it, but it was absolutely magnificently beautiful and amazing. So I was like, okay. And I got up 
and took a shower and went and, you know, talked to people and they sold me the car and I drove off and uh, went back to where I came from, to my little garden shed in Mount Malloy. Uh, and uh, a week passed and the Japanese woman came by to pick me up, to take me out to lunch. And I was not in this state of consciousness anymore. And I was concerned that, uh, what was that gonna be like? Uh, I was back into being Sperry, being me, being separate little thing in a body, different and distinct and comparative, comparable to other people. I was still very peaceful. I wasn't, you know, very mind identified, but I was, my mind was had me captive, basically which was isolating me from things and thoughts and other people. So she arrives in her little car and she's not at all like she was the other night. She's like, if you had taken a, a small little diminutive Japanese woman that was about maybe five feet tall or even less and plugged her into a 240 volt wall so socket, you could see the sparks coming off of her. She was just like, like this. <laughs> she was so terrified of being in my presence. It was such a contrast. I, I didn't know what to do with it. And she behaved completely differently. She like took control of the situation like probably, you know, Japanese women want to have the man be in control. So she dictated to me how I was supposed to be in control by taking control of me because I had no interest in being in control. <laughs> and she, she told me, you drive like this. And I said, oh, okay. So I got behind the wheel and we drove off. And she was extremely uncomfortable. And to make a long story short, she couldn't stand it after a while. And I basically had to get out of the car and hitchhike back to where I lived. Uh, and, um, and so I learned viscerally in every possible way because of the, dual, the dualistic tearing of the unity that I had known, the peace and stillness and joy and, and absolute communion of, of total oneness consciousness that I had experienced with this other, who I'd not experienced that with anybody else to that depth or that degree. It was like being loved to the deepest and being loving to the deepest left depth I could imagine with another human being. In the first 32 years of my life, my parents had been emotionally unavailable. They were lovely, artistic, crazy, eccentric people who were like other children, basically. Uh, but my brother and sister, young, my younger brother, older sister, they hadn't been able to be one with me. And nobody had ever known that it, my teachers or peer group or friends had never been able, and lovers had never been able with me. I want to interject here. This is what happens to humans, right? We live our lives feeling separate and alone. And then we meet someone and for a moment we connect in this unified experience and we call that love, right? 
we call that love <laughs> because we've not experienced it maybe we've experienced it with our mother or father at some stage as a baby or whatever uh yeah and then we make it exclusive and we say only this can happen between you and me and because we don't experience it with everybody else and so as I'm listening to your story and thinking about who you are and what you're bringing to this world and what all gurus and teachers of consciousness bring to this world, it's trying to impart knowledge in order to give this experience, this unified, cohesive experience between all of us, you know, and, and have a loving experience between everyone and not make it so exclusive. I love my husband. I love my partner. I love my baby, my cat you know, whatever, like make this love experience so exclusive to make it inclusive and a natural, normal, physical experience of unity and oneness. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I've experienced that exact thing that you pointed to, Karen. I would, each one of my partners, intimate partners, I had that moment of feeling one with them. Right. And that was the last moment. <laughs> and I based the potential of my entire relationship on the fact that that, that could happen permanently, hopefully. And then that would, uh, we, she and I would learn how to impart this now that we had learned how to do it and could learn and could keep it alive uh, to others. And, and that was always my hope that would be crushed eventually. And then I would feel like, well, I obviously can't do it with this person. Do I have to go find another person? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, the, the bonds have been broken. Let me see if I can find it in somebody else. You know, as you were speaking, Sperry, as you were speaking about the extraterrestrial beings, uh, as I've had conversations with them around intimate relationship, they've told me that this unity experience is so present within everyone in their experience that intimate relationship as we have them on earth is not necessary because they're not looking for love in the other person you know mm. they're, we're looking for love in all the wrong places right mm -hmm. love exists within us but then they have this agreements with others other points of consciousness that are um, appear to be individualized to have experience, whether that's a sexual experience or other experiences. So there are agreements put in place where you go, oh, this will be fun. Let's do that together. But as we experience relationship on earth, like we're looking for that love relationship in the other, they don't have that, you know, they don't have the marriage thing and they just oh, have yeah, agreements. Yeah, you were glitching there on my end, I'm sorry to say. I was glitching. Yeah, so I think that with what you're bringing to this world, with all that you've done and all you're continuing to do is to bring that cohesive experience through, through your work that we are that unified experience, that loving experience uh, through media and social media. And because I don't know if talking about it's going to give us this experience. We really have to find a way of raising our vibe so that we're available to it, just like you did in Australia. So you said you were, you know, you chewed over it for since your NDE for 30 odd years and, and meditated and then let go of trying to make it happen. And in that letting go, it happened, right? This... Well, that's what I've studied. You see, I've spent uh, almost 40 years 
with thousands of people internationally with multicultural groups exploring how it's like there's a door can you step through the doorway or step out of plato's cave can you step out of this mind identified self you know mind made self that we're all trapped in this self-isolating way of being um into the capital s self or the no self the anatta well so I've experimented and through trial and error found a way through just a conversation where essentially the verbal analytic mind points to what is beyond words, mm -hmm. to what is felt and sensed with other people. And the combined presence of our, uh, the magnitude of our awakeness by our being aware of it and describing it, using words to point to it, the whole group becomes aware of our the magnitude of our combined awakeness that is not has no image it's like a mirror and we all in about 15 20 minutes most of the time we all shift into unity consciousness in a fully embodied way the mind goes immediately quiet and we get to this this place that i got to through the near-death experience and through meditating before meeting the japanese woman uh reliably again and again and again and i have recorded these conversations or these experiences and shared them through my YouTube channel. And the idea of the film and the social media uh, around the clock in multiple languages um, app for free as a free membership is that people can learn how to do this through a, through a video tutorial and they can come together any time of the day or night 24 seven in multiple languages create their own groups or join groups in their language. And when they're feeling alone or isolated and just step into, with the click of a button into a social media group uh, where they're sharing awareness of awareness. It works so reliably, Karen, it's really phenomenal how great it works. I mean, it really is reliable. And I guarantee you that you can talk yourself right into thoughtlessness, <laughs> fantastically. And you can do it on film. I spent $300,000 on five cameras and hiring people to work uh, on a team in the Human Connection Institute. And for uh, many, many months, we would film ourselves uh, doing this type of practice. And then we'd look back to it on a bank of, of, of television screens and see how different ways of editing it and whether we could see our audience in the future in the lens of the webcam that we we're looking into because we would stare with unbroken eye contact into each other's eyes when we were doing it in person or into the webcam lens when we do it online. Uh, like right now, when I stare into the webcam lens, you and I are, uh, I can sense you're looking, looking into my looking. And so I can sense our combined looking as something that I can uh, intuit, at least embody. And my whole body, heart, and mind collapses effortlessly into this our oneness. And, uh, and so when there is the people who watch this interview uh, live or in recording, you can look into uh, our eyes or my eyes in this moment, for example, and you can sense our looking as, some, as a meditative object, like you would look upon a candle flame meditatively. And just look at the looking 
Keep looking at the looking in an undivided, effortless way. And if you just keep doing that, you will end up in this state of shared sensitivity in a fully embodied way with, with me and with Karen. And it becomes very relaxing and you can feel everything just letting go and, and the mind going silent and becoming still. And it's so beautiful. So I've been discovering ways to make this state effortlessly accessible mm. to seven and a half billion people basically yeah without having to have a sledgehammer spiritually awakening moment or an nde or be hit by a car or have a breakup with a relationship and have your heart broken yeah i think that spiritual awakening needs to be a lot easier and gentler than it has been in the past you know as you speak about this there's a young man here in australia called igor who's a friend of my daughter's actually who does the what does he call it human connection something anyway and he gets people to sit in front of each other and stare into each other's eyes mm. and i've done this many times over the years um and yeah and what comes up for people so you're staring into somebody's eyes sitting cross-legged on the floor or on chairs or whatever and all your insecurities and giggling and wanting to look away and all the stuff starts arising just like when you were sitting in your room and you saw that glob that nebulous glob as you were saying this, telling that story, I'm, I'm saying, what's he looking at when he's seeing that? And the, um, the thought I got was that you were looking at all your insecurities and thoughts of limitation and just looking at all that stuff that we layer on ourselves that make us feel separate, right? That keep us locked in fear or separateness. And well, it was um, so concentrated at that point that it was just, just pure sort of a greasy glob <laughs> but normally yes when i meditate in any given day which i meditate every day all that stuff that you were just describing comes up and i uh, and to be digested to be integrated into my so-called conscious mind which is only about three to five percent of my neurophysiological psychology uh, so every day it's necessary to digest our unconscious uh, what we sense and what we feel uh, into this new brain uh, of our conceptual understanding of ourselves. But I wanted to say, and, and echoing what you just said a moment ago, Karen, is that, you know, I said to myself when I was in that, that hut, that garden shed in North Queensland, I said, after I'd had this kind of an experience, and, and I've had that kind of an experience thousands of times, but since then, uh, and versions of it before then even, but is that if, if, if people, if everybody has to go through what I've been through, feeling, you know, having a tree fall on me and then spending, you know, basically my whole life through meditation, trying to get back to my emotionally uh, terrified and my physical body going through the death throes of that tree landing on me right on my heart and taking me out for seven hours that so, if everybody had to go through that kind of thing to yeah. get to uh formless unity consciousness then it's going to be a long time coming before humanity is enlightened <laughs> it's going to be a long time coming so that's what happened to you when you were four you had a tree fall because you didn't explain what happened in your nde you had a tree fall yeah. on you when you were four yes i was playing zaro because my my grandparents <laughs> on my mother's side when i was two and four uh, committed suicide. Wow. 
my grand my wow. maternal grandfather had parkinson's and he was a doctor okay. ears nose and throat doctor right. and his hands were shaking as happens with parkinson's and he was in a dignified society uh you know at that that day and age it was a sort of upper crust and you know that if you are going to lose your dignity as a doctor in your community it's going to be insufferable you imagine as an ego of course and so he had all the means available to him so he took his life when i was two years old when my wow. mother had already married and had my sister who was two years older and me uh and so i was at the age of two um he took his life and my mother was devastated of course because she was very loved her father dearly why would her father abandon her mother and her in such a horrible way and to kill it to take his li own life and so his mother was not a, her mother was not very good socially anyway and so she was um uh you know embarrassed and uh, shamed by her you know secretly behind her back by the members of her class you know upper class community like whispering behind her back kind of thing probably and so she was just horrified and uh didn't know how to deal with it uh, wasn't very good anyway before that she really depended upon her husband to kind of be his be her rock in social society and so she took her life when i was four which you know my mother was very close with her mother and uh and so it was very devastating and my mother um she wouldn't share her grief she was crying behind closed doors uh i could feel her grief and experience it vicariously with her but she wouldn't allow me to be on her lap sharing her her terror and her grief and her sorrow with her because as a little boy i could have done that it would have been beautiful but she felt it would hurt me so she didn't let me do that and so i ended up having this feeling of not being able to be one with my own mother at two and at four but you already you know you've been in her womb you're like you're indivisible and so i had to spend at least nine or ten years the end of which I really accomplished in Australia before I went up and went into this garden shed, I was going into bathtubs where I'd make very, very hot water. I'd put olive oil on my eyelids and the sensitive parts of my skin and go underwater, super hot water, hold my breath until I felt like I was going to die. And for a few seconds, like one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, I would have a clairvoyant experience of reuniting with myself inside of the womb inside of my mother's womb because i've discovered that she had taken an epidermal or epidural that made her unconscious of giving birth to me and so my parasympathetic nervous system was underdeveloped and for about two weeks after I brought it to consciousness through doing this in the bathtub, and I'd continue to do it in the bathtub to get it more in focus and more in focus. But I was walking around with my arms trapped, pinned to the side of my body, even though I could flail my arms around freely. I was going through the, the re-experiencing and digestion and integration of what had been rendered unconscious because it was so traumatic 
to go through the birth experience without being able to physically participate in it and just be like drugged with the drugs that my mother had taken because epidermals, epidurals don't, uh, are not as advanced as the recent stuff. So you, uh, so the child gets drugged. And so, um, and my wife, my Australian wife at the time would get furious with me because I felt so drugged up and she would scream at me and scream at me while I was trying to do my work and study for seemingly no reason at all, just because she was probably feeling drawn into it. And she was feeling like she was being drugged and because of me. <laughs> and so I felt like I couldn't take it anymore because she was, she had had wa boiling water dropped on her when she was in the womb. And I think that was partly why I was experiencing that by her sister having knocked over a boiling kettle of water on her mother's stomach before, before she was born, just before she was going to be born. And so my wife had tremendous traumas physically. She'd become this beautiful dancer. Uh, she'd grown too tall to be a ballet dancer, which is what she wanted to do. So she went into jazz dance and became one of the top jazz dancers in the Lido in Paris and in the big NGM shows in Vegas and in Monaco and in, uh, what's that place in, in Mexico? Anyway, that's about the time that we met. So, and the drama continued on. <laughs> and she really forced me to get in touch with this and, and deal with it, but it was very difficult to deal with her being so angry at me uh, at some times, uh, which her, mother had been with her father because he had been on the Burmese railway for five years and the Japanese had mur nearly murdered him because they just worked them to death. Somehow he survived. So there's whole chain link of human beings being traumatized that I was needing to adjudicate and pass through and make sense of and bring to consciousness and digest through this body, heart, and mind. It was very, very impactful and very confronting. Uh, and so I'm, I'm telling you, because some of you probably experienced stuff like this. So this is sort of the ingredients that I felt like, boy, if people have to go through this, <laughs> they're never gonna wake up. So that's why I have spent my entire life trying to figure out how to bring about global empathy and, and global enlightenment. Oh, darling one, I'm hearing you. <laughs> you know, uh, the thing about and the thing about the traumas that we carry. <clears throat> sorry, my throat's a bit scratchy today. The thing about the traumas that we carry, whether there are traumas, past life traumas, our parents' traumas, the collective lineage traumas, that in order to transmute them, they do have to be witnessed and seen mm. in some way. But we don't have to suffer through them again. But we do have to witness them. I don't know why that seems to be some law of the universe. We cannot stuff them down and shove them under the carpet and have them go away. We just can't. They have to emerge and be witnessed or I don't know. I don't well, even know I if witnessed say, is if the I right interrupt word. You a little bit. Yeah. It's like, you know, how cows, they, they eat and chew grass, which is indigestible to us. And they have several stomachs. Right. Well, I think our unconscious 
holds the, the, the bag for these very severe traumas that we can't digest right away. And so we wait until later life where we're stronger and more established as a separate individual who is brave and doesn't have any reason to be be afraid. And then in order to regroup and integrate and become a, able to access our full awareness, we have to re-encounter all that we've disowned with what awareness we still have left because the awareness that awareness has been necessary to go with the trauma because the trauma is embedded in awareness. <laughs> and so when we re bring the awareness, the trauma back to awareness, we reconnect with the awareness that was taken, was went away with the trauma and they have to read like the cow, read, chew, right. and redigest in the, in the primary stomach what was left in the cud, they so call it the, the cow yeah. as cud. <laughs> yeah, the trauma <laughs> so is embedded a... in awareness. And so in order to overcome the trauma, we we suppress our awareness. Oh, that's so interesting. Isn't that's that so amazing? interesting, Sperry, yeah. Uh, and I wanted to say that the best personal growth workshop on earth is intimate relationship for bringing up <laughs> all the trauma. Yeah, it, just, it pops the cork. <laughs> it pops <laughs> Pops that cork. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think Shakti Gawain said it. I don't know if she's still alive. Is she still alive? Do you know Shakti Gawain? I think she might be. She uh, was actually uh, <clears throat> one of the publishers on some of Eckhart's books right. a few years back. She said personal relationship is the best. Yeah, I think she said that. Personal relationship, intimate relationship is the best personal growth course in town. Don't avoid them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it pops the cork. Right. So that's so interesting. Now there's an aha moment. So we suppress awareness in order to overcome our trauma. And so by bringing up the trauma again, awareness returns. Ah, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. It's like we keep losing. Like let's say we have a trauma where there was a, a blue, uh, I don't know, stuffed doll or something or fuzzy wuzzy teddy bear or something. Every time we see the color blue, we, right. to some extent, begin to recall the trauma by association, right. and then we have to create a secondary repression. Like some people take uh, ethogens, and they stuff comes to the surface, and they have to repress it again, mm -hmm. and then it's harder to integrate it and digest it the next time. But so we go through our early life almost recalling what we have repressed or suppressed and re-repress it or suppress it. And so there are layers and layers of repression and suppression. And so when we finally, if we want to utilize, as we get older, we're, we're experiencing everything, every moment we're experiencing everything that we've ever experienced um, by association so that we can integrate and make sense of all that we can possibly comprehend given everything that we've ever experienced so we need all of our awareness as we get older and more complicated exponentially more complicated we have to go back especially when we get to about into our 30s and you know late 30s they say you know when when we hit 40 it's like being reborn again <laughs> and we have to ultimately go back 
and integrate everything that we've di disowned uh, by bringing it and integrating it, digesting it into full consciousness. So we have all possible awareness to deal with our life as we as we grow older and more complicated. Do you think growing older gets us makes us more complicated? I think it makes me I've been less complicated since I've got <laughs> definitely less complicated since I've got older. Life is just so much effortless. But then I've done the work as yeah, you as have the, to have done the work. As Otherwise, the you become like a robot. Right. You know? As the awareness of the trauma arises, whether that trauma was this lifetime, past lifetimes, or whether my mother's trauma or father's trauma, I've dealt with it as it's, a, you know, I haven't suppressed it. And uh, yeah, and then life becomes a lot less complicated when you're not dealing with all that stuff, you know? Mm. Yeah, a lot less complicated. Oh, darling, well, we've been yakking. <laughs> There's so much to say, but uh, how do you say one more thing about that before yeah, that sure. I won't need to say anymore is that so everything we've experienced is, is, is metabolized or made sense of in the context of all that we are experiencing and all that we might experience. So the, the realm of what we're perceiving and what we're imagining is getting more complicated. And if we do the work, we become more and more aware of being awareness, which is holding all of that in ever increasing complexity, but we're not identified with it. We're enjoying it and finding it marvelous and amazing and beautiful, like having amazing lucid dreams that are delightful and uh, transcendental. But because we're not identified as being what we think or what we feel or what we sense, our lives are getting more and more aware of awareness and more and more more mirror-like where we are that which is unidentified and uh and indivisible and immortal and is deathless because in the near-death experience you've realized that you cannot die that which is awareness being aware of itself cannot be divided against itself and it so no thought or thing or space or time energy or matter mind or body can divide that which is spaceless and timeless uh, and that which is transcends all matter and energy, mind and body, space and time. So what do you, do you feel anything about, found anything about that, Karen? Yeah, absolutely. As we reintroduce ourselves to our awareness as our trauma arises, yeah, we become aware of the, of the matrix, so to speak. We become aware, just like you said, you were, you know, awake inside the dream that you realized it was a dream. You less, you take this world less seriously, and you see it as the, as the game, as the play that it is. You know, as the stage show that it is that you're participating in. You become more aware of that as you reintroduce yourself to awareness. Yeah. Do you think, Sperry? Well, I suppose that's what you're trying to do with your work. Do you think we can reintroduce ourselves to awareness without the trauma? Now, there's a question. Or do you think yes, the trauma has to? Why I feel that uh, mm. we can work from the top down. Uh, what mm. I find with the groups, you see, as with the Japanese woman, that let's say I had a group of like six, eight, 10, 18, 30, 70, 1,000 people. The magnitude of our combined awareness brings us into that state where we're in 
absolute serene, serene stillness and bliss and joy and, and unconditional communion of pure love, uh, true love, I would say. Uh, it's just that when you leave the group, people would miss being in the group and being in that field of organized awareness that is anchored in, you know, whatever number of people. And they would say, you know, Sperry, since I was in that group, I've been walking around in the grocery store on the sidewalk, hoping and praying that I would run into somebody who was in, the, in that group that we were in, uh, because I feel so, I feel more alone and isolated than I ever have felt in my life, because now I know that I'm isolated and alone trapped inside of my ego, my mind made version of myself, and I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> so let me tell you about this guy who I found out is a friend of my friend of my dear friend that I've been working the brilliant, most brilliant physicist I've ever found on this planet, Dr. James E. Beekler, who's amazing his work, we've been collaborating together, and contributing to each other's works and coming up with a common model that is just absolutely breathtaking. Uh, the physicists that understand it, they're just like blown away at how it resolves all the issues in, in the sciences. Uh, and so we're very proud of being, uh, not needing to be proud by being nobody going nowhere. But it's amazing <laughs> that we have solved the riddles that will keep us, and, and it's the scientific, military, industrial, political, medical establishment that is the left-brained trained, you know, 12 years of schooling, you know, where they're punished if they don't spit it back at the teacher through memorization. So many people in the power elite are very mind identified and all they know how to do is to dominate and dictate and be authoritarian. And so we've got to, they're the ones that I'm really worried about. And so that's one of the reasons that I said, I've got to find a way, or awareness has got to find a way to simultaneously educate the, the mind-identified patriarchy, the power elite who want to eradicate us, to genocide us and call the population because they can't, in their own wildest mind-made imagination, imagine any other way to, to deal with what, what's happening on the planet right now with seven and a half billion people, other than killing off a few billion of us. <laughs> and so they even said, you know, through the pipelines, they said, if somebody, you know, we've spent billions of dollars trying to figure out how to do this, uh, the Iron Mountain report and stuff like that, you know, we've got the most intelligent minds that are all left brain scholars working on this, trying to figure out how to deal with the situation uh, can we deal with it without having wars, for example? And so they study that, the Iron Mountain Report, and they go, nope, I think we need wars. We need continuous war. We need to have constantly get, keep the war machine going. And we have to keep everybody terrified and pulverized. And we've got to call the population. We've got to get rid of billions of people. Uh, we've got to do uh, you know, mass genocide in a very secretive way so that people can't stop it and blah, blah. While the, you know, the 99% the say, wait a minute here, you know, you're not going to call us. We're going to uh, 
we're waking up, you crazy people, you know, you point oh 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 one percenters, you billionaire club. We're going, we're waking up here. And uh, and we know that we can wake up and smell the roses and be awake as one in many. And uh, we can we can handle our impact on the ecosystem. If you guys in the corporate elite would stop being the owners and um, perpetrating these corporations that are destroying the environment and, you know, if you would all would just stop doing that uh, we and start being equal to the rest of us, we could actually have heaven here on earth by sharing a commonly sensed consciousness. So uh, we're at that point where the looking glass technology says, you know, we're gonna win this one. And as we come out of this, uh, we're gonna be able to have these films that re-educate us and experientially and the social media applications and so forth. And, you know, we're, we're going to be able to look at this uh, in talk shows and in print media, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we're all so, going to get like our, our ET, you know, uh, people that have been tinkering with us who want us more than anything to be awake as one greater body, heart, and mind. Like, uh, look at uh, one last thing is um, Esther and Jerry Hicks. Uh, Jerry has passed away, but Esther and Jerry and Esther continues to say and represent Abraham, which is a collective intelligence saying to us, you've got to feel what it is that you want to have happen. Well, they're doing that as a collective. It's a lot easier to do it as a collective. So I'm advocating that there is an easy way that we can do this as a collective through the global empathy accelerator partnership proposal and you can join in you can propose ways of doing it participate get paid you can contribute to it monetarily if you want but we are going to you're going to do this and we're going to shift the whole separative mindset of humanity and have enlightenment on this planet and bring heaven to earth period that's it the court's going to be out of the bottle Determined. I love your determination and your passion, Sperry. Uh, okay, I want to get into how people can get um, participate in it. Do you, so you honestly believe that there is a um, agenda in place by the corporate elites to depopulate the planet? Oh, unquestionably. Unquestionably. Okay, interesting. So <clears throat> I think that I think that that will happen because you know what I see, Sperry. I see a, a lot of the especially since the Second World War, actually, I see a lot of the people that are on the planet, probably half, are the light workers, the light weavers, the star beings that actually came to Earth at this time to be a part of this uh, global agenda to help Ooh. raise the consciousness, you know, of, of to, to be a part of the shift to, you know, as we move into the next epoch, the next experience on planet Earth. I really believe that, population I came here from another uh, you came, I came here. here from i came here from surf dimension i right. actually about 15 years ago some of my friends we were all just like white light with a sort of a golden tinge we had no real body no interior body or organs as many people have reported this friend of mine has spent 22 books and nearly 50 years studying the afterlife where it's 10,000 times as more ecstatically magnificent and we can 
be aware of all our unconsciousness when we're over there. They come back here because it's so much we're challenging and confronting. You know, we have to take care of so many things here that we don't have to over there on the other side in the afterlife. But anyway, I heard the calling and I said, oh, that should be simple. I'm going to go to Earth, help out. You know, all we have to do is notice what we notice together. There should be a total piece of cake. Yeah. For heaven's sake. From that perspective, I came oh, here, was born into, you know, through my, you know, chosen mother and father who were gentle, artistic, eccentric people. They were probably some of the best. Everybody told me that my parents were like the best of the best of the best. They're really great people, but they were still cuckoo you know they weren't emotionally anchored or integrated into the consciousness for heaven's sakes in their generation and so um that's why i probably you know i was born on the buddha's birthday you know that's the wesak the occult new year and mm -hmm. there's hundreds of thousands of people born in that day but i was born within you know like an hour or two of of, of the exact moment in which the full the moon is full in scorpio and the sun is in Taurus, which is a different day every year. And it's that day, apparently, that Gautama Buddha was born, enlightened, and died on that same astrological aspect. And it said in astrology that if you're born on that aspect, you know, especially close to the full moon there, uh, you know, directly opposite the sun, that, that you basically have to be turn yourself into nothing in order to survive it. Otherwise, we'll just be crushed to death. So I was crushed to death right away. At four. <laughs> and then I got on with being every bug and leaf and person on the planet. And everybody who was evil and awful, I felt them in, my, in the cells and atoms and molecules of my body. And the first 30 years of my life leading up to that 32-year ex experience uh, in the garden shed, um, uh, I felt like I was being torn to pieces and put back together again, being torn apart and re-sewn back together, as is the case with many shamans. They, I had a book once, um, uh, long before that, was about the, the shamanistic traditions of 5,000 different shamanistic sects on Earth. Every single one of those 5,000 sects, they talk about the shamans in order to serve their community they're chopped into a million pieces and then boiled alive in oil and then sewn back together or nailed back together or with, I don't know, whatever, some horrible thing that you could, can't possibly imagine happening to you. And that is exactly what happened to me, exactly what happened with all those 5,000 other, you know, sects and all the probably hundreds of thousands or millions of other shamans that it had ever happened to so that I could be of service. So that's, uh, that's what happened to this one here, being nobody going nowhere as anybody and somebody and going everywhere and nowhere forever being, as the eternal now. Being nobody going nowhere. I love it. Um, I think that, you know, as, you're, as you have done your work at your generation and my generation, it's definitely easier for the younger generations to wake up. And I'm seeing that, you know, so much easier. And, you know, the work that you're bringing to this world and I'm bringing and Eagle's bringing and all the people that are bringing consciousness work, consciousness technology through meditation and eye staring and all sorts of things um, is making the awakening process so much more beautiful and easier and blissful and without having to be torn apart or squashed yeah. or whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
it, it's, um, it's yeah, they're they're part of the single body heart and mind with us. So they're they're in this communion of how it can be for those of us who have done all this work. So you know, generation by generation, it gets it's gotten quite a bit easier. I mean, oh god, absolutely. If I had gone through what my mother and father had gone through, I would I would have been like them. Yeah. You know? I remember when I was running the Academy of Light in my 30s and everyone was talking about their pain and their trauma and there was another girl who was about my generation at the time who was helping and we were washing the dishes one night doing something and she said, looked at me, she said, I feel really out of place in this group. And I said, why? She said, I haven't had any trauma in my life. <laughs> you know, I've come to spiritual awareness without trauma. And I'm like, well, good for you. <laughs> you know, she didn't have an NDE or her parents died or disease or, you know, divorce or whatever. And I'm like, good for you that you could, you could investigate, you know, who you are and why you're here without having to be having a spiritual sledgehammer moment. Yeah. Well, well, I found a very, you know, very rare people like that, that I found through my, you know, thousands of people in these 40 years of groups. Um, I did meet one family who were all in unity consciousness so blissfully and beautifully, but they were like terrified of being with anybody else in the, in the rest of the world because everybody else is in separate self-consciousness. And that the people who really live and have not been traumatized in order for them to be in relationship or to to learn from experiencing becoming one with all the rest of us who have been or are still traumatized, they have to go through the tunnel, dig it from the other side of the mountain, which is kind of what I had to do coming from where I came from in absolute, you know, blissful wonder and joy in telesomatic, into, you know, transcendental you know pure unconditioned love uh i had to go like oh my god how am i going to survive all this divisiveness and polarization that i'm viscerally experiencing with my parents and my brother and sister they're all fighting with each other my brother mother and father would fight not all the time but they'd there was that that rub <laughs> the friction between them and my brother and sister were fighting and then they'd be friends and then they'd fight and they'd be friends and be fight. And I'd be like, and everybody at school, I'd have a friend over for, you know, to play with. And he would like destroy whatever toys I had. And I'd be like, how am I supposed to be nice to this person? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But therein lies the challenge, isn't it? I think unity consciousness is not about being in groups and feeling unified with loving other, loving other beings. It's yeah. feeling unified with everyone. It's feeling unified with the, uh, you know, the controlling elite and yes. knowing that they are uh, the extension of source energy as much as you are or the baby or the kitten to, is, you know, like. I have had to learn to love them as, as if I were them. Right. Uh, throughout that first 30 years of life. I mean, I, I had to embody them so intimately and understand them through experiencing them so intimately uh, and forgive them and love them. And, you know, I'd experienced Kali, I'd become Kali, you know, with the severed head and the lotus flower and everything. And I'd be like, oh, that's what Kali's been doing all this, you know, time immemorial, <laughs> you know, dealing with every, all the self-isolating people um, by treating them as flowers and treating them as people worthy of having their head cut off. 
So, um, because in death, there is no death, and we learn by dying mm. that what we are as deathless consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the people that are trying to control this world and rid the population, the, the, uh, what, what's it called? The agenda of trying to like cull the population? What's that called? There's a name oh, for the it. Agenda 21, Agenda <laughs> 2030. <laughs> I, I look at these people uh, and, you know, I look at these people and they're so in their intellect and they're trying to work life out from the level of the intellect and the mind only and not from the level of this cohesive, conscious connection, unif unified, empathic connection. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like they're putting two and two together and without, well, yeah. And, and so well, I, I really- What if they did though, Karen? I mean, what if they did allow themselves to really be in their bodies, in their hearts and feel that they were everybody and everything? Well, interestingly enough, one of them that's on the- they would have the, an embolism, you know, and, have an and nonstop embolism for at least a decade, you know. Well, one of them that's on the world stage that a lot of people are talking about at the moment because of what's happening, and I won't mention his name, you know, he's been through a personal trauma, and I was watching that unfold in the news, and I was thinking to myself, well, good, maybe that'll put him in his heart and get Who's him out this? of his head. Can we mention who it no, is? No, I'm not going to mention his name. But a little, little, little... <laughs> It's, it's obvious. <laughs> do it in code. So his wife <laughs> left him recently, you know, and they were very much a team. You mean he's the guy that's like like this? <laughs> yes. And I was thinking as I saw that unfold. He was hanged. After, well, that's what after, people after a tribunal. Well, that's what uh, people say. I don't know if I believe that. I, be, I believe it is genuine. I'm I'm here do to you? say. I don't I know. I have been studying it as a scientist. I believe it is genuine. You think that they've they've knocked him off, like they've yeah, killed and him. What we're seeing is a body double. Okay, that's what you, you think. Keep up appearances so that so the mass of people don't feel that you know. Well, that's that God. That's a whole nother show, Sperry. That's a that, that's a whole nother show. Yeah. One that we can't have on this on YouTube right. platforms. Yes. So we could we could have that conversation on other platforms, but um, that's interesting. We haven't said anything in untoward here. No, we haven't. But I, I, I've had a friend say that to me. And I'm like, I, no, I don't think so. Um, that you know that he would that he went to a tribunal. Yeah, I that didn't he believe was... him at first either. Mm. But I, uh, but through months and months of really studying it, you know, kinesthetically, intuitively, and in many other ways, uh, uh, it's okay. You, know, you can really come to. Here's what doesn't make sense, and this show is going on forever. But here's what doesn't make sense: if he was hanged as you say and had a tribunal why would they bother putting up a body double i mean what's the purpose of that well in order to keep keep face because yeah but who's uh, keeping face i mean if there was some justice that was uh placed on him like i don't think that killing anyone or incarcerating anyone is is any sort of form of justice i think reforming people and, and getting them in their heart is more justified yeah, than i've worked than, in prisons than, i'm telling you than uh, torturing people, people. You, yeah you can't it's easier said than done. So well, I'm sure it is, but I'm still <laughs> saying that if some sort of form of what people think is justice has been has happened, why bother having a body double? Well, like I say, the, well, the what is it? The um, the controlling uh, elite? No, the the ability since 1912. No, 2012. Sorry, the uh, the ability to see the future. 
they can actually see what the different timelines, how they're playing out. Uh, and since 2012, the percentages have not changed. Uh, the, the, the power elite are not, their timeline is not going to happen. The, the, the mass of humanity is going to be free of them, okay? That is 79 point something percent potential has, has stayed solid. Now, it was just reviewed just the other day by one of the people that is at the core of the military that has been in charge of that uh, area of investigation, okay, from the US military. And he said that, uh, you know, they haven't disclosed this result to the general public until now uh, because they wanted to see over the last, whatever it is, nine years since 12, 2012, almost 2022, that it's been consistent that unless the, uh, the forces of light, and that includes the ETs and the, you know, the Galactic Federation, as well as the, you know, the, it's about 70% of the US military that are, are on our side and the other bunch are basically, you know, want to, are siding with the power elite, that unless we make so-called good guys, unless we make a terrible mistake, uh, there's no possibility of them winning. And the, what they are doing is they know that they're up against it here and that this is their last, very last chance. It's like, like Hitler, you know, burning, blowing up every bridge and killing all the livestock and doing everything he possibly could to slow down. My father backing up, uh, what's his name's army coming in from the West <laughs> and uh, General Patton, uh, my father was in Iceland for five years as a sergeant of munitions and was landed in the third wave on D-Day to back up Patton's army to go into Berlin. And the, and the Russians were coming in from the other side to get Hitler and, uh, and take over Berlin and stop the war, basically. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to say with all that, that... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Goodness gracious. I, so that, basically you're Hitler, saying of course, Hitler did everything he possibly could. It's it was called, it had a special name. He called it um wasn't slash and burn, it was uh something like that. He did everything he could to to make everybody as unhappy as possible and kill as many people as he could possibly kill before he himself was actually, as it turns out, he was ferried off. To, uh, to Argentina, so he did survive the war. He, they made it look like he, was, he committed suicide with his wife, but that actually didn't happen. And so the power elite with their 30% potential, they are doing uh, everything they possibly can to make us make a mistake so they can make their timeline happen. They're not gonna give up until you know, the deal is done. I, I, I've heard that, I've heard that. And, you know, what I'm seeing, Sperry, is that I'm seeing beautiful, conscious people that have been meditating for years get caught up in the stories, in the game of war between the good and the bad forces. And in their attention to it, they're totally dropping their consciousness as, yes. they, as they fight 
the bad guys, you know, like as they're fighting against the evil in the world. And I've, I'm watching this unfold yeah. in the consciousness community and I'm like going, that is actually not what we're here to do. We're here to stay in the love and the unity. Well, you know, as we, judge, a- as we judge another, whether it's the dude that we were talking about before that you say has been hanged or the global elite or the controllers or the Hitlers of the world, as we judge them and deem them as evil, then we create that separation that you're here on earth to 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 remedy, you know, to bring unity into well, the consciousness. Under, I have a slightly different understanding that the same way that we have to, you know, get hold of our cud like a cow and you know, <laughs> our traumas and bring it back to be digested and integrated into consciousness. Yeah. That we are also not just individually traumatized. We have been a collective consciousness that is collectively unconscious. Right. And so we are individuals, those people that are doing what you're doing, what you're saying, which is, I agree, is not the best thing they could be doing. But if they haven't done the work, they are essentially bringing up to the foreground of their individual consciousness, all that they have not integrated and digested into pure consciousness, Mm -hmm. the pure consciousness that you're pointing to as pure love uh they have not done that yet but it's not it's just the same as them as people needing to do that individual work they need to do this indivisible work because the collective has been utterly traumatized through all these wars through all the insanity of humanity we have been traumatized as plants and animals and people and the whole of us has been gone through so much that we have to some people will still continue to, you know, have a knee jerk response, like when hit with a rubber mallet just yeah. below the kneecap, yeah, and the leg yeah. goes, the yeah. foot goes bouncing out, you can't yeah. stop from doing no, it. I get it. This I is get like it. a knee jerk reaction, people yeah. have to polarize and say they're the enemy, they're the bad guys, and we're the good guys. There's going to be people that have to do that as part yeah. of their process. Yeah, yeah. The insanity of humanity. I love that. Those two words together, the insanity of humanity. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's almost as if when you do your consciousness work and you think that you're love and light, you tell everyone you're love and light, right? Then you see the atrocities unfold in front of you as they are revealed. And then all that is inside you that you haven't dealt with you know, that is not love and light is, is brought up as you, as you, as you see the collective trauma unfold, not the personal oh, trauma, yes. but the collective trauma. And so it is an opportunity to then, you know, bring the light and understanding to that as we experience, as we witness the control dramas. And I don't know, you've been watching the news, right? I mean, on social media, oh, you've been I've, seeing I've, what's I've happening. A lot you, of time every day. Right. Well, you've been seeing, in touch with the collective. Well, me too. And you, You've been seeing what's happening down under, right? With the police. Right. So as we witness that, I mean, it's going to bring up all this, these feelings of unfairness and, and all that stuff that we've not dealt with that we think we have, right? That, that, so, yeah. And then we have to meet those feelings with understanding and light. Yeah. So it's a perfect opportunity for more transmutation of trauma. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, if we cling to it should be this way or it shouldn't be this way, it shouldn't be how it is, uh, then we're not really being effortless. Yeah. You know, we really have to surrender. The most powerful thing, there's actually a book called The Power of Awareness, which I highly recommend. 
making no effort whatsoever and accepting and allowing everything to be exactly as it is, is what Jiddu Krishnamurti recommended to come full circle. And also Eckhart Tolle to just experience the pain body and to realize that the pain body just needs to be felt. And if we just allow ourselves to experience and accept what is there uh, as it is without trying to change it, it becomes integrated and digested by that effortless awake awareness, which is choiceless and mirror-like, and is woven and, re and is reignited to be able to be liberated from being polarized and polarizing. And that's why I would say, you know who, is, and others that who have also been adjudicated <laughs> in these military tribunals, they're, they've definitely got body diapers. You can actually notice that they're not the same people and they're not the same heights. They have, and they actually know who they, they've looked into who the actual actors are in some cases so, who are taking their place. So, so okay. you, so you would agree with the narrative that's out there that the president of the country that you belong to is another double. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no, the, I just the, think he's had a lot of plastic surgery. He's had no, so much plastic. No, no, no. He is not the the real guy. Is in uh, uh, if he's not already passed away, he has been actually since what I don't know. Quite a while back, uh, he has been in hospital under uh, what's it called? It, it's a severe hair or something. Has some name for it, but no, he has been out of commission for some time. Interesting, interesting. Okay, well, before we go, how can do you, you want? Can you publish this whole? Talk? I'm going to publish all of it because we've not done too oh, much. Oh, thank you, thank you, Karen. Uh, I've been uh, in, I've been in interviews before. They say, "Well, we can only use an hour of this," and I'm like, "I'm going to put all of it up." But people have a choice whether they sit and listen to the whole two hours. Yeah. But how do can people get involved with what you're offering? So you've got this PDF out that you're you're bringing to people, which is um, the PDF proposal. Well, the the uh, uh, the it, global it, empathy uh, accelerator partnership it. proposal has if you. People would read through that if they want to. Well, they get that said, from your website? Yeah, on your website? You can, but you have to find it on the website. I probably sent it to I you. I will put the link to it on my page where you're um, on my website and in the YouTube. and, and I could send you a whole page full of links that I would recommend if you like. If you don't you can do that. have any limit to the number of links. But <laughs> essentially... Different strokes for different folks. Some people want to, you know, see something very short. So I have many th two or three minute videos. Uh, some people want to look at the physics, the, you know, the hardcore uh, physics. And I have, which I'm one of the pioneers of. And, and so I have my physics and then the work that I've done with other, uh, the person I've been working with. And he's even more rigorous. If you need even more rigorous physics, are you He's doing? Are you oh. doing any online kind of group connecting sort of sessions? Yes, I have uh, two. Uh, I offer every week. They're available on Meetup, and uh, I'll send you the link for the Meetup groups if you like. And uh, uh, and so there's one Sunday morning. It's at eight a.m. Hawaii time, which is UTC minus ten. 
And then there is uh, one on Wednesday evening. Um, first of all, that one, 8 a.m., uh, 10, 10, minus 10 UTC, is so that people even uh, in Eastern Europe can participate. This is about a 12-hour difference for them. So the whole of the United States, going stretching all the way to the Arab Emirates, uh, can participate in those groups. So that's an online group? That's an, those are both all Zoom groups. Okay. Do you do physical groups as well? I love to do physical mm. groups. Uh, mm. I do, you know, people can actually ask me to arrange a group. They can mm. say, and I do the groups for free unless anybody wants to donate. Mm -hmm. uh, I make a practice of making everything available for free, if at all possible, so, mm -hmm. uh, so that other people will feel like they can just turn around and offer it for free. And they can pay it forward to whomever. Uh, in fact, we used to, uh, the psychiatrist friend of mine and I, he said, you know, this is so amazing, Sperry. Uh, you know, uh, let's ask everybody that we show how to do this to, that if you, we show it to you, then you show it to two more people. And if we do that, and everybody pays it forward to two more people, it'll, the whole of humanity will start, will start doing awareness of awareness and we'll have an awakened society awareness on the of planet. Mm. Yeah, awareness of awareness. I love that. Notice what you notice, awareness of awareness. It's noticing the noticing. The noticing key the is noticing. this. This is the basic key, is that we are, we are been taught to object, be objectified and objectify everything, which is the noun and the predicate in the sentence of life. All we have to do is sh shift our awareness to the verb in the sentence. Notice that right now our thinking doesn't have an, have an image to it. Our smelling, even though we may be smelling something, the verb, the activity of smelling, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, feeling, being, noticing, all these verbs don't have an image, don't have an objectified image attached to them. They're an activity. They're a living, breathing, thinking, feeling, sensing, knowing activity. And just by switching, paying attention to the activity of perceptual consciousness, we can gradually wean ourselves off of, of sweets and drugs <laughs> and self-abuse and being negatively charged and polarizing to realize what it is that is not identified with any object at all. <laughs> and we learn to share that, that those verbal, that verb, that activity of sensing feelings, knowing, being, you know, intimately sharing uh, with others and, and all others, ultimately in our meditations, whether we're with people or not, and ultimately get to the state of transpersonal unity consciousness, moment after moment, indivisibly and seamlessly. And then we are in, then we are creating heaven on earth. We're in heaven on earth, and we feel absolutely heavenly. Mary Andrews, beautiful. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. It's just been an incredible, incredible conversation. Thank you so much. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> As I said, the one in you and the one in me notices the one that we are and all is well. <laughs>
All is well. Thank you so much, Karen. You have been absolutely a blessing and so beautiful to share and know what we are and what the truth of, of, of the true love that we truly are together. So lovely of you. Thank you. Oh, what an amazing conversation with Sperry Andrews. Oh, wow. We could have talked about so many other things. Maybe we will get together and have that conversation that we didn't have about all the other things that he was talking about. I don't know if I believe all of them, but anyway, the life, uh, the world is an infinite possibility. All things are possible, good and bad, I suppose. Uh, yeah, we were just chatting as you do and talking about where he lives in Hawaii and he was telling me about when he lived in Sydney. He lived just up the road from where I live now and he said that when he was in his 30s, I would have been in my 20s at the time. He spent a lot of time on Tamarama Beach, which was a beach that I spent a lot of time in when I was in my 20s, a lot of time. It was called Glamorama. All the beautiful people used to hang out in Tamarama Beach. Everyone was always so, so gorgeous and thin and beautiful. And I always felt, even though I was gorgeous and thin and beautiful, around all these gorgeous, beautiful people, I felt very inferior that just that not good enough thing, you know, was rife when I was in my 20s. But I spent a lot of time at Tamarama Beach. He said he lived overlooking the beach and he'd see the waves crashing and the spray come up and then the rainbows in the spray and how beautiful it is and I'm like I know it is absolutely beautiful it's a little beach here in Sydney it's next to the famous Bondi beach which is a big beach a big uh, tourist beach uh, it's this little deep alcove of a beach yeah we used to call it glamorama Everyone was beautiful in the 80s. This was back in the 80s. Everyone had their high, you know, bikini things on. You know, they used to wear the up over their hips, you know, sort of, sort of. anyway. But, yes, he spent some time in Australia. Fascinating man, absolutely fascinating man. He, um, he turned 70 this year. Amazing, isn't it? He looks good. Uh, I was, we were just talking about where he came from. I said to him, my guides told me that you're an ET that came to earth to teach consciousness. And he goes, yeah, I know that too. But excuse me, he doesn't remember which planets he spent time in. I said to him, I could tune in and tell you, but I don't have time for that now. But he just remembers being uh, coming from source consciousness, from this sort of nebulous, unformed point of consciousness and making a decision to be one of the volunteers that, come, that came to earth after the world war after they let off the atomic bombs to um, help raise the consciousness of this world because that's what will fix this world uh, we need to raise our consciousness and be more loving and unified and understand that we're all one uh, and when we do understand that we we can't do the things that we do to each other and to the planet we just can't when you understand when you when you know yourself as the other and you feel that viscerally, you feel, you feel that connection, like what they think you think and what they feel you feel. It's what empathy is, right? When you understand that on a collective level, you just, you just can't do what we are doing to planet Earth and to each other. <clears throat> you can't affect that same pain on the other or on the planet or the animals because you're doing it to yourself and you're feeling that pain. So, yes, that unified consciousness will be what, shifts this world yes so i asked him to come into the inner sanctum next year and maybe we can do some exercises on feeling that unified consciousness but uh, i feel it with everyone i meet now anyway <laughs> it's that 
it's part of raising your consciousness when you when you meet another and you're you're just in their presence with awareness you just start to feel as they feel you start to know what they know you start to merge and be one with them and then you start to know what they don't know like as i'm tuning into sperry i'm knowing things about him that he doesn't know about him that's what psychic awareness is right it's that it's that access to awareness that we were talking about it's a beautiful thing i'm not going to talk too much it's been a long show <clears throat> it could be it could have been longer uh and this is another one of his paintings behind me so He's a beautiful artist and if you go to his website or go to his Facebook page, I'll put the links on my page on my website. You'll see all his links there. You'll see the links to his art. Isn't that beautiful? It's um, abstract but just gorgeous colours. I love that one. I'm loving the one behind me at the moment. Yeah, he was showing me when I turned off the recording, he was showing me his garden in Hawaii. I actually did. Oahu, I think he's in Oahu. I did ask him where he's living in Hawaii. Oh, looks so beautiful. I'd love to go back to Hawaii. So gorgeous over there. All right, I'm going to talk too much more. Join our inner sanctum. <laughs> yeah, all the regular stuff I say. Join our group. <laughs> Subscribe and like and communicate and let me know what you think. Let, let me know your thoughts and uh, share the shows with your friends. And I'll check you next time. Love you all. Remember to check out that book, Awakened by Death. And I'll see you soon. Bye for now.